this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. I want to tell you this morning about a story about a, a battle. When I was in sixth grade, I had uh, grown up a... Uh, pastor's kid and uh, really learned how to love people well. I think I saw it emulated in my family and my parents and grandparents who loved me and, and, and treated me well. In sixth grade, I met a couple young men and I was trying to discover who I was. Was I was an athlete? Was I an academic? Was I going to pursue girls? Uh, was I a church guy? What, what was I? What was I going to be? And I literally was trying to discover who I was. And in that moment, I found a couple guys uh, uh, in particular, a couple young men who uh, were the kind of the popular kids, if you will. And for me in that moment, that was kind of a transition spot in my life. I was trying to literally was like four, eight and was like towered over by everybody else and like was trying to play sports and just, just like really confused at like kind of where I was going to fit. And so when I was finding these young men, they were the popular kids and they, they, uh, they had all the money, they had all the influence, they had all the power, they had all the girls. So like naturally, I'm just like, okay, like that's going to be who I'm going to hang out with. Uh, I didn't push against it. It was a battle. Literally, I think it was the first bat, one of the first battles I had faced in discovering what it was going to look like to have friends who would surround me and either lift me up or surround me and pull me down. And so in this time, as I was discovering friends, uh, a couple of them, um, I was trying to uh, uh, kind of uh, impress them. And so they were uh, stealing lead out of pencils. I know it's sixth grade. Okay, bear with me. Uh, you remember those lead pencils, the racers on top? You could pop them off, put the lead in. Do you remember that? It was before you wrote on an iPad. Um, and <laughs> seriously, but so... Uh, what, what happened is one of the guys would walk around this side, talk to the kid. I would take the pencil. I would take off the racer, pop out the lead, and put it back all without them knowing. Okay, so this was my deception. This was how I stole from kids. It was one of the first battles, me discovering what it would look like to hurt people. So I would steal their stuff. They would be out without lead. And then I would um, go sell it somewhere else or sell it back to them. Insane amount of deception here, stealing, evil, hurting. Um, but it was on the first, it was a first battle on a path to, of destruction. Uh, trying to make other people impressed. I can remember, I literally can remember the uh, face of a young man who was trying to be part of our group. And he said, you guys come to the Braves game with me? I got tickets. They're like, yeah, we'll go to the Braves game with you. But my friend wanted to mess with him, make fun of him, act, act like we were going to go and didn't. Um, so he put him in a closet that would lock from this side. It was, I don't know why, uh, it was a like scientific room in the school, locked him in there and I could see through the glass and I could see his face. I can, I can, right now in this moment, I can picture his face. I remember what bullying looked like. I remember choosing to run from that and flee from that. And then those same guys bullying me, um, I can remember losing battles along the way because I had pattern. I had learned what it looked like to hurt. I had seen it in other people and I could take it and hurt others. I could extend judgment because I felt like I was condemned. I felt like I was bullied. I could, I could bully. I could hurt people with my words because I felt like I'd been hurt with words. And I felt like if I faced battles and I lost, therefore I should just flip on the other side and start fa fighting with the group uh, that was winning. 
because I kept losing. And I felt like if I was going to lose and just be a loser, then why not try to be cool and figure out how to be cool, which meant that I had to fight the battle that I was trying to fight against. I had to join on with the other group. You see, it's not the amount of influence, power, or money that determines how good or bad you are. It's what you do with that influence, power, or money. Everything is under the Lord. Everything is in the Lord's control. Therefore, it's not like I could either have influence, power, or money, or I could have nothing. It's not like I could pursue these friends and have everything or have nothing. It was like this. Everything is in God's hands. And what I didn't recognize is those boys didn't hold anything. Only God does. What they were doing was trying to lie, steal, kill, and destroy to take it as their own and use it against others. And I joined in with them. And I learned what it looked like to do that because I faced battles and lost. So I left a path of destruction. I can remember back. I can, th- I can see my minds. I bet you can too today, people you've hurt. Path of destruction I left in the wake of my lost battles. Throughout James, we see the challenge to fight. In James 1, verse 12, it says that we ought to endure trials because the one who stood the test will receive the crown of life. That God has promised those love. Later in James 2, 1, it says, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to fight for what is right. You've got to fight against the battles you're facing. You cannot give in. When you give in, the devil wins. When you give in and you lose, you feel like you either got to fight or you feel like you've lost and you're defeated and there's nothing else you can do. You feel so empty and so out of effort and out of attempts that you just give up and give in. James tells us to be victorious over our trials and temptations and to relentlessly crucify discrimination. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus crucified discrimination. It says there is neither Greek nor Jew nor male nor female. On the cross, Jesus Christ broke down the hostility, it tells us in in Ephesians, and there is no longer a group of people distinguished by what they look like, smell like, act like. There's no longer that distinguishment. All there is is one under God. One group of people who've been brought together by faith relentlessly crucifying discrimination. And if we do this, I think it will lead us into wildly extending mercy. James 2 verse 13 says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When you experience mercy, you show mercy. I would know because I was the one, I was the least of these. I was the sinner. I was the broken and the destroyed. I was the one who still killed and destroyed. And so therefore God found me in the midst of my worst sins, not in the midst of my perfection, not in the midst of when I looked good, looked clean, looked perfect, looked like I was going to be in church for the rest of my life, looked like I was going to be a pastor for the rest of my life. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are surprised that I'm a pastor today, but I'm not a pastor because of who I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 said, I can remember the day right back there three years ago, one week ago. I can remember where the person, and if, if, you, has, have you, have you ever been to a Southern Baptist meeting or a church business meeting, you got to bring a shield and a sword. It's just a fight, like it's a battle. Praise God, we don't have that anymore. But if you've ever been to one, it's almost like you're in like, like everybody's just like on tension. It's like, man, what are we going to fight about today? What are we going to yell about today? Like, it's a business meeting. Let's talk business. I'm like, this is the church. Let's talk grace. 
And I can remember the person sitting back there kind of like with this attack mode on. They go, what, what makes you worthy to be the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church? I can remember, I, I think it was those direct words, worthy. And I could just like in my mind, it kind of like just resonates because I'd been through a journey of discovering if I was even worthy to be a son of God, not just a pastor, but declared to be a son. Like, do I even, am I even worthy of forgiveness? Am I worthy of God's love and God's mercy and God's grace? I'd been through that and I recognized, no, like I'm not worthy. But for some reason, God saw me and declared me worthy. And I can remember that person asking, they said, are you, what makes you worthy? What makes you able? What makes you all these, I'm like, I'm a 27 year old kid. I don't know. Nothing. <laughs> like, I'm, I literally am 27 years. I've never led, led a business. I, I've, I've never led a church. I don't know. All I know is this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. If I look at my path of destruction, I'm not worthy of anything. I don't know about you. I want to walk through James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 with you. Verse one says, come now, you rich people. And, and if you remember from chapter four, come now is essentially this. Hey, you're about to face a really hard saying. You're about to face something that's tough to understand. It's, t- it's tough to apply. He says, you rich people. Rich people is not a designation of money. It's a designation of corruption. It's a de- designation of evil. Again, it's not influence, power, or money that deceives you. It's what you do with your influence, power, and money. He says, come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Isaiah 13, verse six says something similar. It says, wail, for the day of the Lord is near. See, what he's saying in James is, God's coming back through his son, Jesus Christ. And what you're doing to others is nothing compared to what he will do to you. If you think you're strong and mighty because you hurt others, you should recognize your weakness because one day God is coming back. Verse two, your wealth has rotted and your clothes are mothy. And you can just hear Jesus' words in this. Remember, James speaks a lot to what Jesus has already taught us. He learned from Jesus and speaks it to this other group. In Matthew six nineteen, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You see what they were doing, what these rich people were doing was they were indulging themselves so much. They were gathering everything on this, in this world up for themselves. They gather all these things up together. And James is saying, hey, look, that's all gonna go away. And when it's all gone away, Jesus is coming back. So you may gain everything you want. You may get all of your desires. You may indulge your flesh all you want, but one day Jesus is coming back. Verse three, your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in these last days. Treasure, I'm thinking, what's treasure? Why is he saying these things? Why? It's such a connection though. Matthew 6, 19, look at Matthew 6, 21. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You stored up treasure in these days because your heart treasures the things of this world. When we desire the things of this world, we get what this world gets. But when we desire the things of God, we get what God has for us. Verse four says, look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. 
I think this is what it looks like to lose a lot of battles. Verse five says, you have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. It's that fattening up to get to that point to say, okay, I'm ready to feast on it. That's what it's talking about right here. It's like, I'm gonna indulge myself, get everything that I want, put everything together. Now I have everything I need. I'm just gonna indulge on these things. So you fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. My heart treasures it. So I'm gonna gather it, but this is corroding. It's rusting, it's going away. And Jesus is coming back. You've lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. I want you to, I want you to remember this from verse four. It says, the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. And it doesn't say, you see, it says, it, the pay that you, it says the pay that you withheld. It doesn't say that the pay that Satan withheld. It doesn't say the pay, uh, the pay, uh, the pay that your addiction withheld. It doesn't say that the pay of your struggle with substance abuse withheld. It doesn't say the, the pay that your anger withheld. It says the pay that you withheld. Because every lost b- battle has robbed you of the ability to extend mercy to those who need mercy. I think today you may be facing a battle like I have or am. You may be facing a battle today or have faced a battle in the past where the wounds and the scars that you've developed hurt other people. You see, condemned people condemn people, judge people judge people, hurt people hurt people, broken people break people. I am a broken man leading broken people to find a savior. When we arrived at the conference, Pastor Glenn can attest to you this, we arrived at the conference and I've taken my group, right, my, my whole team, um, down to a conference. And there's a man there, uh, a pastor who I have respected and followed and listened to and learned from and prayed for. Literally, I've prayed that he would not fall because I've seen so many pastors fall that I've loved. I almost think, I, I'm not to make a joke out of it, I almost want to not love any pastors so they won't fall. So I've prayed for this man. The day we arrive, the day before a massive conference of 15,000 person church is leading a church leaders conference. And the day before we arrive, he resigns for sin. Talking about just like, I don't know what to, like my, my team's here. I'm taking them down to, to experience this church leaders conference. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like just holding back all my emotions, the tears, the frustration, watching broken people fall. We face battles today, but I've I've fallen to this truth. Like like fell into this truth. It's not like I like victor- victoriously moved into this truth. It's like I, I, Lord, I I have nothing. I've literally fallen into this truth to say. I'm a broken man leading broken people to find a savior. And I would ask you, just like I would ask myself, what battles have you faced in your life that you failed? What battles have you faced that you've lost and you feel like I can never win? You've given up, you've given in. And here's what often happens. You say, okay, if I can't win this battle, maybe I'm fighting something I shouldn't be. And you start kind of shift onto the other side, like, what if this isn't evil? 
What if, this is, what if, what if what I've been fighting isn't wrong? Maybe, maybe the Bible doesn't actually say that. Maybe I can twist the word so that I'm not actually bad. I don't, need, I don't need to deal with this. I don't need to deal with some heart. I didn't do anything because I don't think it actually says this in the Bible. You start twisting the Bible. Or you feel like, man, I just, I can't win. Therefore, I'm just going to kind of, it's just going to be over here, part of my life. I'm not going to tell anybody. I got these open wounds, never been healed by the blood of Christ, by the scars that are on his hands and in his side. He's never been healed. You just kind of leave this thing over here like, man, I can't win this, but I can win some of these over here, so I, I can't win this. And all of a sudden, see what happens is our loss brings hurt and pain, condemnation, judgment, hurt, pain, stealing, killing, destroying around us. And we say, well, I don't think this battle is going to hurt. But then you look at your relationships and they're broken. I don't think this battle is going to hurt me. And you look at your friends and they're broken. I don't think this battle is going to hurt me. And then all of a sudden your children are broken. And you're like, what happened? Why is my relationships hurting everywhere? Am I? And this is what I did. I looked at a path of destruction from my childhood into my teenage years. And I'm going, what happened? Even those around me who knew me before will say things like, man, before you were this age, you're so loving so kind. But I faced battles and I lost. John 10, 10 says, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You see, the truth here is the thief does not just want to steal, kill, and destroy you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy through you. He wants to hurt your family. He wants to hurt your church. He wants to hurt your friends, and he wants to hurt your enemies. And every battle I face is the enemy's attempt to make me kill, steal, and destroy, and to kill, steal, and destroy me. So as I've fallen into this recognition of brokenness in my life and found victory in Christ, I recognize this. There's only one way I can find victory. And by the grace of God, I can say that God has brought victory into my life over sin, Satan, and death forgiveness for every sin and freedom like this only in Christ can we say that we have freedom and and forgiveness only in Christ how can we find victory I believe it's this in Romans 1 it says that Jesus Christ after he had lived a perfect life facing every battle that we face he fought every battle and was triumphant victorious righteous he faced sin satan and death on the cross and he died and was buried in the tomb raised from the dead and it says when he was raised from the dead in Romans 1 it said he was raised by the powerful the powerful son of god was raised by the spirit the Holy Spirit. Look at this. The same powerful spirit, and I've told you this before, the same powerful spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and proclaimed life over sin, Satan, and death is the spirit that lives in you. And so I know this. As much as I've fallen into a recognition of my brokenness, I've been redeemed out of it by the spirit of God to find freedom, forgiveness, victory. And I know that I'm not this. I'm not a rebellious warrior. I think I was. I'm a redeemed warrior. I want you to think about it in two different ways. Are you in rebellion or are you in redemption? Has God redeemed you out of your brokenness, pulled you out, saved you out? You once were a slave to sin. Now you're not a slave to sin. You're free in Christ Jesus' name. Romans 8 says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's no guiltiness. There's no shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57 says, where death is your victory, where, O death, is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. 
who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is victory in his name. I want to finish that verse for you, John 10, 10, because there's an ending to it. It says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. There is a path of destruction. There is a path of life. In Jesus Christ, there is life, and in the spirit, there is the power to live in the victory of life. In James 5, 4, I want you to zoom into this, okay? Come with me into verse 4 and ask some questions. It says, look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out. Cries out. Okay, think about it this way. They're oppressing people who are their workers. They're benefiting from it, and they're fattening their hearts up with the indulgences of the flesh, gathering things to them, oppressing their workers, and it's lifting up cries. These workers who are oppressed are lifting up cries. And listen to this, the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. And I wondered, I wonder why does it say Lord of armies? It's only used one other time in the New Testament. It's in a quote Paul uses in Romans. It's in a quote. But this is, there's significance here. He's kind of built up this whole argument. He comes into this like really punchline. I mean, he says, look, he says, come now, you rich. Like he's like really calling them out. And you're kind of going, why? Use the Lord of armies. There's so many different phrases you could use for God right here. So it's kind of uh, not using the New Testament. So you're going, where, where does this come from? And so I dug into it a little bit and I tried to, deci- tried to decipher what, you know, where he was he using, what's the first time it used historically. And you go back to 1 Samuel. So this is one of the first times this is used. You've heard of Lord of armies or Lord of hosts. Same word, same phrase. So 1 Samuel uses it, and it's this, it's this lady who wants a child, and she's crying out to the Lord of armies and trusting to the Lord of armies. You kind of go through the story, and, and all of a sudden you see what's really happening here. With the, with the child and with the nation, what's happening is there's a Lord of armies, and you have two nations, the Philistines and the Israelites. And so as the, the story progresses in 1 Samuel, there's a couple encounters. One encounter in particular, they take what they, the, the presence of the Lord uh, essentially dwelled in the Ark of the Covenant. They take that into possession. They say, okay, let's take all that they have. Let's enslave them. So they enslave the Israelites. They live in slavery, uh, the Israelites to the Philistines. They take the presence of God to them. And all of a sudden they go, okay, wait, now hold on. Uh, the presence of God, we don't want him with us because uh, uh, people around it are dying. Uh, God doesn't like to be uh, um, fought. And so when you try to fight God, you try to take God captive, it doesn't really work out. And so they literally take, uh, they're like, hey, okay, get rid of this because it's killing our people. And so they send God's presence back uh, to, to a land, to a place where it can reside without killing them. They're fearful of it. And you move forward a little bit, and all of a sudden this nation gets a little cocky again. They think they can do something about this. And what you have is a scenario. One hill, you have two, you have two hills. On one hill you have the Philistines. On the other hill you have the Israelites. In the middle there's a ravine. And one of the warriors from the Philistines comes out, and he's, he's massive compared to everybody else. He's won a lot of victories. Uh, he's defeated a lot of people. And remember, when you face battles... You start, this guy starts to get a little cocky. He thinks he's winning. He's actually losing. He's destroying people, lying, killing, still, and destroying. He's killing people, destroying people, hurting people, um, and, and not in the goodness of God. He's, he's, he's taking it out, and he's oppressing people and enslaving people. And so all of a sudden, he gets a little cocky. He thinks, I can do this again. I can do this again. I can do this again. He comes out, and he says, hey, you send out your best warrior. And uh, if he wins, we'll be your slaves. And if you win... Uh, we'll be your slaves. I said the same thing. I said the same thing. If you guys win, we'll be your slaves. If we win, you'll be our slaves. It's a little confusing there. Two hills, two nations. And I, I can imagine this. I want you to imagine this because it's kind of what I felt like in my life. 
There's a young man named David. Now he's smaller, he's young, he's really young, hasn't fought the battles that, David's, uh, that Goliath's fought. His Philistine's name's Goliath. He hasn't fought these battles, but we do know he's, he's not just a weakling. He's fending off lions and <laughs> fending off uh, things from attacking his sheep. So he's, uh, he's a tough guy. But he's not even big enough to wear the armor. So he goes out there with no armor on. And it's really at this point where I like really connect with James because there's a young man incapable of victory. I mean, completely incapable of victory. I can only imagine what these Israelites are thinking in this moment. They're like, who let him go out there? Like, couldn't we have sent like... I don't know, Bersalus. I think I'm trying to think of a tough name. Uh, like somebody like, you know, this huge and some warrior. <laughs> Send him out with some, you know, this massive sword that he can wield. A good, strong shield. No. Let's send out David. David's got nothing. He doesn't have a sword, he doesn't have a shield, he doesn't have any armor, he can't even carry it on him. And Goliath tells him again, mocks him. And with a sword in his hand, fighting against a young man, this massive warrior who's fought many battles and been victorious, hears these words from this young man. David said to the Philistine Goliath, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies the God of the ranks of Israel, you have defied him. You have defied him. And the outcry of the harvesters has risen to the Lord of armies, those who are weak and oppressed, those who cannot speak up for themselves and fight for themselves, has the Lord of armies on their side, and he hears their cry. The Lord of armies comes to their behalf. And I think that's why it says in verse one and two, you better weep and well because Jesus is coming back. And if you're oppressing, he's coming back. You see, Goliath had a lot of power. Goliath had a lot of influence. Goliath had a lot of victories. But he sought to use it to oppress others and enslave others rather than to use it for the mercy of God. And so therefore he finds himself against God against the Lord of armies. You're gonna face battles in your life and you can face them one of two ways. You can either go against the Lord of armies, you can fight with the Lord of armies. I had to learn this. I had to fall into this. And I know you've fallen. I know you've failed. I know you've struggled. I know you've been hurt. I know some of you have been so oppressed that you feel like you'll never find freedom from your oppression. But David said, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies. Then the Lord of armies is on your behalf and he is finding victory for you. There is only one that you can find forgiveness, victory, freedom in, and his name is Jesus. Now this is challenging. This is hard because it's, I think sometimes we create such a perfect little picture of who we are. I've heard it said like this, you come in your Sunday best to church. It's like we put on this picture of like, man, I'm good. I think some people genuinely think, man, if you can come on Sunday, if you can do all these different things, you go to Sunday school, you get in a group, you go do some mission trip, or you do all these different things and you'll be fine. 
Like there's some kind of salvation in doing those things. But, but the, 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 this is the, maybe the biggest issue with this. When you look perfect, why do you need a savior? When you act perfect, when you don't recognize your own sin, when you don't reveal your own wounds, we don't show your own scars, why do you even need a savior? And the worst part about it is if someone steps into this room broken, wounded, hurting in the midst of their sin, evil, dying. They look dead. They smell dead. They smell like evil. They're lying, cheating, stealing, killing. They're destroying people around them. They've laid a path of destruction. And you look at them and you're like, what is going on with you? You smell them and you're like, what is going on with you? They walk into these rooms and all they see is a bunch of perfect people. I'm not judging you, man. I'm talking about me. I'm wrestling with me. And you got to wrestle with you. You got to show people your wounds. You got to show people your scars. I promise you this. I'm never going to stand in front of you and act like I'm perfect. I will show you my wounds. I will tell you about my wounds. Some of you people, some, some people, some of you, some of you people, I don't want to get mad at you. Uh, um, some of you are going to get frustrated with how honest I am and open about this. Some of you are going to get frustrated with my brothers, Pastor Glenn and Pastor Bill. Some of you are going to be like, why do you talk about this so much? Because if I don't talk about it, how are people going to see that I've been set free? If all I act like is, man, I'm a pastor. Everything was good. I went to seminary. I would have did all these things. Man, I was a pastor's kid. All this perfect stuff. Where was Christ? Christ was with me when I was a bully. Christ was with me when I hurt people. Christ was with me when I hurt my friends, my family, my girlfriends. Christ was with me in the midst of my rebellion. And Christ came to me. And get this, Christ died for me in the midst of my rebellion. So where was Christ? He wasn't in my perfection. He was in my destruction. And so I can't help but think about this. Is there somebody in your life that you would say, they, there's no way, there's no way they'd find freedom. There's no way they'd find victory. There's somebody in your life that looks like such evil. I want you to think about the most heinous sin, the most evil you've, you've ever seen in someone. I want you to think about the person that might walk in these doors with some, something that you think is evil. You're like, how could they even walk in here? How can we allow them to walk in here? Because if we don't, the Lord of armies will be against us. And if we tell them about the grace of God, the Lord of armies will be for them. Hurt people, hurt people. Broken people, broke people. Condemned people, condemned people. But freed people, free people. If you're in here today, your story is not finished. You may feel like you're facing battles today that you can't conquer. You may be hiding some of your battles. You may be acting like, man, that that battle, I'm just never going to conquer it. Well, then who is the Lord of armies? If you can't fight your battles... It might not be because you're fighting with Jesus. It might be because you're trying to fight him alone because there is a Lord of armies who can conquer a Goliath, who can raise his son from the dead, and who can save you from your sin. I encourage you this morning, fight. Fight today, fight tomorrow, fight forever. Don't give up, don't give in. Fall into brokenness and find a savior who redeems you.
And when other people come to you, show them who you are. Show them your wounds. Show them your scars. Because when Jesus walks up to Thomas, he says, here are my scars. Because it's only when you see the scars that you can see that he's been raised. And in your life, when people see the scars and the wounds in your life, when they hear your story, but hear that God raised you up from that, that is victory. That is freedom. I pray to God, the God of all gods, the Lord of armies, that he will bring broken people into this room and that you'll have the opportunity to tell them, I'm broken too. That you'll walk out of this door and go into your jobs, go into your schools. Kids, you're going to go in your schools and you're going to see a, ch- a student who's broken. And you're not going to turn them away because you recognize that you were broken too. Only by the grace of God I am what I am. And how are you who you are today? Are you defined by your battles? Are you defined by your losses? Are you defined by your destructive path? Are you defined by the one who brings life? As the band comes, we're going to sing this song. This is how I fight my battles. And I just want to ask you with me to fight. Today we're going to fight with praises. Tomorrow we're going to fight with praises. And the next day we're going to fight with praises because the Lord of Army is on our side. And if you're in here this room, in this room today and you've never believed in Jesus, I'm going to ask you to fight not against him but with him. Will you join me? I know what it looks like to fight against the Lord of Armies. I know what it looks like to dive into sin. I hope that you today will choose to follow after the one who can bring forgiveness. I've tried to restore every relationship I broke. There are some people who will probably never talk to me because of the words that I spoke to them from sixth grade on. I've tried to seek forgiveness. You can't always receive it. I can remember the face of people as I've hurt them. I can remember that young man sitting in that closet. I can't go back and change those things. But I can change who I am today, not by my strength, but by God. I hope that you will join me, a broken man, a bunch of broken people who found a savior. And I'm going to lay a foundation for you. Extend mercy. I think we recognize this. We will extend mercy to the broken when we recognize that we are broken and that Christ extended us mercy. I need it more than anybody and so do you. So let's go to everybody and tell them. Let me pray for you. Father, we are your broken people who in your grace have restored to your sons and daughters 
I pray, God, that you would use this church in a big way. I pray, God, that right now stories will be unfolded, scars will be shown, and your grace and mercy will cover them because you're your son's scars. I pray, Father, right now in this moment that stories of brokenness will be redeemed for your glory and that people will find victory and forgiveness. I pray, Father, that you would mend our hearts, that you would heal our hearts who have been treasuring up the things of this world. Would you transform our lives into whatever you have for us? And I ask you, Father, that this would be a church, a church of broken people, I pray, God, that you would bring in people who need you and that we will be able to show them our scars, our wounds, our stories. God, I pray you will open up hearts right now, open up minds. I pray that someone in this room will find victory and freedom right now in this moment. God, you lead us where you have us. We will follow you. You are the Lord of armies and we trust you. May we be your David. Will you fight our battles for us?
Praise God. Remember that every battle you face is the opportunity to show a scar that is victorious because God has redeemed you. You are redeemed warriors. Go out and light up the darkness. Remember, you are sent into the midst of it to light it up, to proclaim truth, to proclaim life over death, to redeem those who are oppressed, and to pray, Spirit, move, because we can do nothing without you. Y'all have a great week. Go show somebody who's lost and dying. There's mercy in Jesus. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.